Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental health nor emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he has gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as they individually and personally choose while accepting full responsibility for their own individual thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares. And by listening to this program, you are acknowledging that you and only you are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to The Last Symptom. I'm Brian Barnett, the creator and the host of this show. If you get a chance, run over to thelastsymptom.com. That's my website for free resources. And while you're there, leave me a donation for my overall body of work, which includes this podcast, if you're so inclined. Also, if you're interested in a personal conversation with me, you can schedule that right from the site. This week, I was made aware of the fact that some people are trying to sell the idea that I'm a cult leader. I'm not making this up. These things <laughs> these things just seem to come with the territory, folks. Just when I think, just when I think the critics can't come up <laughs> with anything more far-fetched, they sure don't disappoint. One message goes like this. I would be careful if I were you. As much wisdom as Brian Barnett has, he also has strong qualities of a cult leader. <laughs> there is no great guru with all the answers or with knowledge of the only way. Oh, really? So why do we even have plumbers, surgeons, mechanics, electricians, and math teachers if there's no right way or wrong way? This lady can just do it all herself because according to her, any way will do. <laughs> Dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. She goes on, Brian's insistence that he has a monopoly on a truth is scary. Look up the traits of a cult leader and tell me if what you read gives you pause. First of all, I promise, pinky swear, that I'm not a cult leader. Hey, hey, everybody, keep it down back there. I'm doing a show. I'll lead the ceremony as soon as I finish here. What was I saying? Oh, yes. Uh, this lady conveniently did not consider me a cult leader until after I chose not to approve one of her posts. Isn't that ironic? And her post, the one that she was trying to post in my group, went something like this. I disagree with everything Brian Barnett says, and I don't care if he approves this post or not. Okay, you disagree. Why are you in my group? I didn't make you join, and I don't make anybody stay. Those of you who are regular listeners know that I deal with this ridiculous stuff on a regular basis. You've heard me explain in detail in the past the reasons why arguments such as hers are total baloney. But let's do it again. 
Do I have a monopoly on the truth? No. A monopoly would mean that I think I'm the only person in the entire world who understands borderline personality disorder accurately and comprehensively, and that's just not true. I happily admit that I did not invent any of the principles I explain here. I did, though, figure most of them out for myself, and I've come up with my own terms to explain them. But am I the only person in the entire world who understands borderline personality disorder or, let's say, emotional health and who talks about it accurately? No, I really doubt it. Remember, a few episodes back, I talked about opinions and how opinions are worthless when really all you want to do is get concrete answers. For example, you don't go to the mechanic when your car's sputtering around and having problems, hoping he's just going to take a wild guess and give you his opinion. (laughs) No, you expect for him to know for a certainty what is going on, why it's happening that way, and to be able to fix it. You don't go to a mechanic for an opinion. You go because he has the concrete knowledge necessary to fix the problem. Is it appropriate to say that the skilled mechanic in this case has a monopoly on the truth just because he insists that what he's telling you is the truth? No. The problem just is what it is. The engine of your car and whatever problem it's experiencing is not subject to anybody's opinions. It's not subject to anybody's opinion at all. Not even the skilled mechanics. The problem is not subject to his opinion. He either knows what's wrong and can fix it or he don't. So if you have 10 mechanics and each one saying something different, are all of their opinions equal in value? No. Somebody's explanation of what's going on and how to fix it is the truth. And everybody else's explanation is bullshit. So it's really no more complicated than that. Nobody has a monopoly on the truth, but only those who understand the truth and can explain it correctly are worth listening to, right? What value does everybody else's explanations have? Zero. Zero value. So I didn't invent the truth. I don't claim a monopoly. Opinions are worthless, and I don't give my opinions here. I explain the reality of what people with borderline personality disorder are experiencing, the reasons why, and how to fix those causes. Any source of information that contradicts the information I give you is wrong, plain and simple, because it does not describe the reality. The truth just is what it is. That's not a monopoly. Many other people may understand the same realities regarding emotional health and emotional unhealth every bit as I do. In fact, I know for a certainty that some people do, and I can give you a perfect example today right off the top of my head. Fred Rogers. That's right. 
Fred Rogers from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Now, if you're outside the U.S., that name might not ring a bell. But here in the United States, 30 years of children grew up on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And the realization that Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers and I, were on the same plane as far as our understanding of children development, how emotions are so important in our development, and how emotions can be also be at the root of many problems. Uh, this realization that he and I were on the same page with this really only came to me within the last couple of years. The more I began to look into Fred Rogers' way of thinking, the more I began to realize that he had the same understanding as I had come to on my own. Let's hear some things from Fred Rogers in his own words. I think silence is one of the greatest gifts that we have. You know, here I've been talking with you for hours, and I think that if I would just stop, there would be a chance for people to think, what's going on? And maybe go deeper within themselves. So uh, what's Mr. Rogers talking about there? Well, he's talking about the same thing that I talk to you about all the time. Rumination. Meditation. Not meditation in the clearing your mind, you know, definition of the word. But sitting down and making mental connections with the cause of borderline personality disorder and your symptoms. And how the causes got there, how your parents implanted that into you in your particular circumstances. What else does Fred have to say? What is television's responsibility to children? To uh, give them everything that we possibly can to help them grow in healthy ways to, and to help them to recognize that they can be angry and not have to hurt themselves or anybody else, that they can have the full range of feelings and express them in very healthy, positive ways. Alrighty. What's Mr. Rogers saying here that aligns with everything I tell you? Isn't it that uh, feelings are neither good or bad, right or wrong? Feelings are never good or bad right or wrong. That's what he's saying in his own words. Let's hear some more. Your children will know anyway, without your saying anything, how you're feeling. What do I always tell you is the cause of the cause. In other words, how did your distorted core beliefs that created borderline personality did it sort of get there in the first place? Your parents' attitudes, their unhealthy attitudes, in other words, they didn't have to say anything. Their attitudes themselves that your parents have as a foundation perception of life in the world is what does the damage. Fred Rogers is saying the same thing in his own way. One of my goldfish died, and uh, I wanted the children to know that uh, I had feelings about that kind of separation. And while you can't get very close to a goldfish, it can remind you of something or someone that you were close to. 
And so that's why I talked about my dog, Mitzi, and when she died and how I cried and how my grandmother comforted me. No, it, it's, it's just a matter of being honest with the children and whoever happens to be watching with the children. You know, Fred Rogers' focus was children, and my focus is adults. And even though it's true that we're all children, um, you know, in our centers, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later in today's program, uh, you know, his focus was just different. You know, his focus was children and mine is adults. But you've heard me cry on this program. You've heard a wide range of my emotions. And why do you reckon that is? It's because I want to share my honesty with you. I know that that's what you need. You need a role model like that, somebody who was in your shoes and who's now not afraid at all or ashamed to share those things. Fred's uh, argument there or what he's talking about, again, feelings not good or bad, right or wrong. There's nothing shameful about them. There is only one person in the whole world like you. That's the greatest gift you can give anybody, is the gift of your honest self. I mean, you can, you've had a lot of courses, and you've probably taught courses in writing. You can teach that as a mechanical kind of thing, but there's no way that you would ever want everybody to write the same material. What you would want the most is for each person to tell his or her own story. That's what I want. I want the children to recognize that they have an important story to tell because, one, it's unique. All right, well, now here he's talking about a couple of different things. He's talking about inherent worth. You have inherent value. And he's also talking about intimacy. Sharing your uniqueness, your true self with other people. Don't we talk about this all the time? Fred's just talking about it in his own way. There is, you'll never find me saying that any machine is better than a person. Uh, for the first time, I showed a computer on a tape that we did the other day for the neighborhood. And I was insistent that I would say there are lots of fun things that go on here, you know. But no machine can take the place of a person. This machine cannot give you a hug. It might be able to spell H-U-G, but it can't give you one. And, well, that's obvious. But you know it might not be obvious to children. And so consequently, I think it's important to uh, let them know how I feel. There he is. He's talking about inherent worth. You, are, you have inherent value over any other living creature or unliving creature on the face of the earth, in the, in the entire universe. You have inherent worth. You don't have to do anything to earn it. Nothing else even comes close. 
I mean, there are several verses, but I remember the last verse saying, for a chance to fill our feelings with comfort and with ease, and then tell the new tomorrow, you can come now when you please. So please don't think it's funny when you want an extra kiss. There are lots and lots of people who sometimes feel like this. Please don't think it's funny when you want the ones you miss. There are lots and lots of people who sometimes feel like this. It's all right to do younger things in order for you to then later go forward. So this is a good one. Here Fred's talking about the proper attitude that parents should have toward their kids' feelings. Imagine if your parents had communicated the message of this song that Fred Rogers had written to you when you were a child and you had grown up believing that, believing that your feelings are perfectly normal, that everybody feels them. How would your life be different now? So he's talking about how feelings have inherent worth, that feelings inherently matter, all feelings do. But without realizing it, Fred Rogers is talking about another thing that you and I discuss all the time, about how your feelings, because you are ashamed of them, and you've been ashamed of them for your entire life, you've been hiding them, denying them, how now in your recovery, you're learning to go back and allow them out into the world, you're allowing them to interact with life, and how now they're going to mature. Did you notice that? So he talked about how sometimes you've got to go back to go forward. That's what we're doing here. It's such a good feeling to know you're alive. It's such a happy feeling you're growing inside. And when you wake up ready to say, I think I'll make a snappy new day. It's such a good feeling, a very good feeling, the feeling you know that I'll be back when the day is new and I'll have more ideas for you and you'll have things you'll want to talk about. I will too. You always make each day such a special day. You know how by just your being yourself. I'll be back next time. Bye-bye. It's you I like. It's not the things you wear. It's not the way you do your hair. But it's you I like. The way you are right now. The way down deep inside you. Not the things that hide you. Not your fancy chair. <laughs> That's just beside you. Are you getting the tissues out yet? <laughs> He's talking about inherent worth. This is something that I spend a lot of time with you on, isn't it? Inherent worth. There's nothing you have to do to earn it. You just have it just because you're you. Just for being a person, you have it. Fred Rogers knew this, and in his own way, explained it to people. 
and I just explain it in a different way. Without, without the song. <laughs> There's a neighborhood song that is meant for the child in each of us. And I'd like to give you the words of that song right now. It's you I like. It's not the things you wear. It's not the way you do your hair. But it's you I like. The way you are right now. The way down deep inside you. Not the things that hide you. Not your caps and gowns. They're just beside you. But it's you I like. Every part of you. Your skin, your eyes, your feelings, whether old or new. I hope that you remember, even when you're feeling blue, that it's you I like. It's you yourself. It's you. It's you I like. And what that ultimately means, of course, is that you don't ever have to do anything sensational for people to love you. When I say it's you I like, I'm talking about that part of you that knows that life is far more than anything you can ever see or hear or touch. That deep part of you that allows you to stand for those things without which humankind cannot survive. Love that conquers hate. Peace that rises triumphant over war. And justice that proves more powerful than greed. And Chuck Aber would say, please don't think it's funny when you want an extra kiss or the ones you miss, you know? There are lots and lots of people who feel like this. And then that helps the prince know that he's not alone in those feelings. It also helps the people who are listening what the prince and Chuck are saying to know that they're not alone and that it's okay to, to that many children will do what adults might consider uh, inappropriate things for their age when they happen to be feeling stressful. Well, all they're doing is going back to an earlier time to help their feelings at the moment. It doesn't mean they're going to stay there all the time. It just means that they're regrouping so that they can take the next step in their own development. <laughs> This is what I give. I give an expression of care every day to each child to help him realize that he is unique. I end the program by saying, 
You've made this day a special day by just your being you. There's no person in the whole world like you, and I like you just the way you are. And I feel that if we can only make it clear that feelings are mentionable and manageable, we will have done a great service. Uh, I think that it's much more dramatic that two men could be working out their feelings of anger much more dramatic than showing something of gunfire. This has to do with that good feeling of control, which I feel that the children need to know is there. And it starts out, what do you do with the mad that you feel? And that first line came straight from a child. I work with children do, doing puppets in, in very personal communication with small groups. What do you do with the mad that you feel? When you feel so mad you could bite. When the whole wide world seems oh so wrong and nothing you do seems very right. What do you do? Do you punch a bag? Do you pound some clay or some dough? Do you round up friends for a game of tag or see how fast you go? It's great to be able to stop when you've planned a thing that's wrong and be able to do something else instead and think this song. I can stop when I want to, can stop when I wish, can stop, stop, stop any time. And what a good feeling to feel like this and know that the feeling is really mine. Know that there's something deep inside that helps us become what we can. For a girl can be someday a lady and a boy can be someday a man. I think it's wonderful. I think it's wonderful. When you serve people, uh, Cokes and coffees and what, whatever they might want, you see what, what people are like. And I'll never forget the day, and I can't tell you who it was. Somebody said to me, I wanted milk and not sugar. I just felt crestfallen. I mean, I, had, I did my best to bring what I was asked to bring to people for refreshment, you know. And I'll never forget how that felt. Of course, I went off and got the correct thing. But the other time, my wife and I were at the same hotel as this very famous movie store. And at the swimming pool, everybody was taking her picture. Well, I guess I made the mistake of asking her if it would be all right if I could take her picture. And she said, I'd rather not. And I, you know, I think of that Every time anybody asks if, if they could take my picture with them, and I invariably say, of course. You know, maybe that's just because I'm who I am and she was who she, I don't know, but I know that it affected me. Were you able to identify with the feelings that uh, Fred Rogers expressed here? Now imagine you're a child and this keeps happening to you 
consistently, continually. What what would be your your only logical conclusion? That your feelings are relevant and shameful. That you are relevant, shameful. That you and your feelings together are shameful and devoid of worth and just stupid. You know, Fred Rogers was an adult when this happened to him, but he expressed, you know, he painted a picture of exactly what that's like so well that I felt hurt. I felt hurt and and partly humiliated just through the story, didn't you? And we, we try to discuss that all the time here. You know, Fred Rogers, he's painting pictures of things that I, that I talk to you folks about all the time. It's not the honors and the prizes and the fancy outsides of life which ultimately nourish our souls. It's the knowing that we can be trusted, that we never have to fear the truth, that the bedrock of our lives from which we make our choices is very good stuff. What's he talking about? Well, he uses the word bedrock, but don't I usually use the word foundation or core? So he's talking about your healthy foundation perceptions. When your foundation is healthy and built on accuracy, on reality, it translates into a healthy, happy life. I can still see the face of one young man who had just finished playing a movement of Brahms' cello sonata when Yo-Yo said, nobody else can make the sound you make. Of course, he meant that as a compliment to the young man. Nevertheless, he meant that also for everyone in the class. Nobody else can make the sound you make. Nobody else can choose to make that particular sound in that particular way. And it, again, I think it was a, a plea for, for parents to allow their children to know that they would do everything they could to keep their children safe. And beside my chair is a French sentence from Saint-Exupéry's Little Prince. It reads, L'essentiel est invisible pour les yeux. What is essential is invisible to the eye. The major dramas in life are never center stage, and they're rarely under the bright lights. They're always happening off, off camera. Fred Rogers and I would have had incredible conversations, I think, and it makes me sad that I'll never get that opportunity. You know, when I was a child, I used to watch Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood regularly, but I could not comprehend at that age the depth of his messages. Me being in the situation that was pummeling those ideas, you know, it was my family and their attitudes was beating 
the realities that he was trying to describe to me down into the ground. So they were way over my head. As I said earlier, it's only been in the last couple of years. I've, after I figured these things all out on my own the hard way and have reintroduced myself to Fred Rogers, that I've realized that he and I, coming from different directions, arrived at many of the same realizations. You know, there are things that I disagree with uh, that Fred Rogers expresses, but in terms of his focus on emotions and on inherent worth and the inherent value of feelings, he and I could not be more alike. So I don't claim a monopoly over anything. What I do claim is that I am explaining the truth about the formation of borderline personality disorder, the reasons for why it behaves as it does, and the way to rid yourself of it authentically and permanently. There are many opinions out there on the subject, yet this truth, the reality, is not subject to opinion. The reality simply is what it is. It's there waiting for any genuine person to see and understand with a little bit of help. Those who contradict what is simply the truth, or, you know, a lot of people get hung up on that word, the truth, <laughs> but those who contradict what is simply the reality, they're talking about what they truly do not understand, and therefore, they're a total waste of time. Remember, just because we don't understand something, just because somebody tells us something that uh, we can't see, that we just, we don't see where they're coming from, does not mean that that person is wrong. It just means you haven't taken the time to see what they see. There's another Fred Rogers quote. I couldn't find the audio for it, but he says, deep and simple, deep and simple are far, far more important than shallow and complicated and fancy. Wouldn't you say that part of the appeal my approach has had for you is that I keep things deep but simple? And what are your therapists, psychologists, and psychiatrists doing? By contrast, they're going for shallow, complicated, and fancy, aren't they? They want to tell you how your amygdala is different and describe what's happening inside of you on a genetic level. What practical purpose does such information have for the people suffering with this disorder other than making the people who talk like that feel smarter than they really are? It has no practical purpose at all. Why not? Because no matter what size your amygdala is, it does not ultimately affect your ability to learn the causes of borderline personality disorder, undo those causes, and live emotionally healthy forever after. Have they done any follow-up tests to see what size an amygdala is in people who have totally rid themselves of borderline personality disorder and are now living emotionally healthy lives? No. And if they have, the people coming to me have not searched out those studies. Why not? Because the truth is they don't care. They got the result they wanted and expected. They stopped there, and they created a huge narrative based on a half 
study. And what is the message of their half-assed study? That you are permanently broken, that you are inherently broken, that you are natural, that you were born that way. Studies done on the amygdala have also shown that our guilt response is eroded the more frequently we lie. But have the scientists followed up to see what happens to the amygdala once a person makes a conscious decision later in life to only tell the truth? And if they're living a life of honesty, does it matter what size their amygdala is? No. Is there any shortage of examples of people who were once gangbangers and criminals who now have families and are living respectable, good lives? No, there is no shortage. The scientists literally have millions of people they could draw from. So why are none of them following up to do the second half of this faux study? Because the scientists simply don't care. We've known since Bible times that lying, when you lie a lot, that erodes your conscience. And that choosing to change and begin to live a life of honesty strengthens our conscience again. Isn't that all we're talking about? Is your conscience when we're talking about your guilt response? But the scientists aren't interested in carrying out this rational, incomplete second half of such studies. Why not? Because they don't care. What's their intended message then? Their intended message is that once you're a liar, you were born a liar. You're, you'll always be a liar because your amygdala says so. Is this even remotely true? Not even remotely. And everybody knows it. They just choose to omit that information when they read these studies. Your genes, same thing. What is the message of their interpretation of their half-tests? That you're permanently broken. That there's no sense in fighting it. Yet it has long been common knowledge that our experiences are able to alter our genes. So do the work to become emotionally healthy, and your genes will change. How do we know? Because our experiences are able to alter our genes. It doesn't just work one way. Have they done any genetic studies on people who once had borderline personality disorder but who now do not have borderline personality disorder. No, and why not? Because they don't care. If they did, they would do the, a complete study, not this half-assed stuff. But, but, if a person doesn't have borderline personality disorder anymore and is living emotionally healthy, does it matter what their genes say? No. In the end, all of these things are irrelevant. Why does it matter what exactly is happening on a microscopic scale? 
Why does it matter how big your amygdala is or what your genes look like? It doesn't. Ultimately, it doesn't. It's misdirection, and the intended messages by these scientists are lies. The scientists and experts are wasting their time and your time by focusing your attention on details that are completely irrelevant to your recovery. I'll tell you what it's like. I can tell you that eating an apple is good for you. The scientists can tell you what is happening on a microscopic level as far as how your body absorbs the nutrients and whatever. Which information is more practically relevant to you in your life? Isn't it that eating an apple is good for you? Isn't this the information that's going to benefit your life more? So why make it any more complicated than it needs to be for your practical needs? What were to happen if uh, you were so caught up with understanding the mechanics on a microscopic scale that you just never think to eat any fruit? Is what you're viewing in the microscope, as interesting as it might be, doing you any practical good? So I'm with Mr. Rogers on this one. Deep and simple will help you maintain focus on what matters and to reject everything that does not matter. Things like amygdala size and what might be happening on a microscopic scale, which is mere misdirection and a waste of your time if you're at all interested in practical results. And frankly, all of those tests and studies are questionable anyway because none of these people have demonstrated a sufficient understanding of what borderline personality disorder actually is to be able to diagnose it accurately in the first place. So we have no way of knowing that the people they've actually done studies on truly have borderline personality disorder at all. It's all smoke and mirrors and misdirection. Mm -hmm. 